He swept the house, and she tidied up the spare bedroom. He cut the vegetables and sliced the potatoes. She seasoned and stirred the stew. He paced the room. She whispered in his ear, He is coming. He is coming. And then he looked at her and said, Is everything prepared? And finally, there was a knock at the door. The Gospel of Luke, one of the four Gospels that we have in the New Testament, the others being Matthew, Mark, and John. The Gospel of Luke invites us to think about hospitality. It invites us to think about guests and visitors and cooking and entertaining and making the stranger feel at home. Now, Gospels are interesting literature in the world, in the history of the world. Gospels are not straight histories. They don't just provide us all of the facts that we would want. And they're also not modern biographies in the way we think of it, sort of like psychological examination into someone's being. But Gospels tell the narrative life of Jesus, but they do it in a way that's unfamiliar to us. Basically, um, they have selected and shaped stories that they found all throughout the ancient Mediterranean Sea, and they have carefully crafted these type of theological biographies. So you could say these are theographies. These are stories that invite us to reflect on what God could be like. And so in this podcast, I'm going to focus on just one. I'm going to focus on the Gospel of Luke because what's phenomenal is the artistry that's involved in all four Gospels. And That'd be a good thing to talk about in the future, but we're going to focus on what Luke does. And Luke is known for its incredibly beautiful stories about Jesus. Luke is the gospel that tells you all the parables that we love so much, the lost son, uh, and on and on and on. So, But there's another theme in Luke. It's this hospitality. In the gospel of Luke, everything significant happens over a meal. So we're introduced to this incredible theme that Luke tells us and invites us to reflect on God. So Rowan Williams, the famous theologian, said this when we approach Gospels. He says, we are asked to hear this story as the story of God's work among us because his life changes what is possible for human beings and demonstrates once and for all who God is, what God wants, and what God is doing. So I want to invite you um, with this podcast, I'm going to go through four scenes of Luke's gospel, four sort of imagery that get uh, that paint this picture for us of the hospitality of God. I want to invite you to open up and to place yourself in these scenes and to think through what it would be like. So the first scene happens towards the end of chapter one. All this momentum and energy is put up into a child, the Christ child, Mary's son. And we're also introduced to another child, John, who will become the Baptist. And that is Zachariah, the priest, and Elizabeth's son. So in the Gospel of Luke, we have these two prominent figures, John and Jesus who come together. And Zechariah at the very end of chapter one gives this great prophecy over both of their lives. But what's fascinating about this sort of moment of prophetic utterance is, he, well, he says this, 
Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and he has redeemed them. Now, then the poem goes on and on. This is built in a poetic frame. So he has raised up a mighty savior for us in the house of the servant David. And then it goes on to talk about his son and the role that his son will play in all this unfolding excitement that happens. But then it goes back to this at the very end of verse 78. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, what's fascinating is the very beginning of the poem and the very end of the poem use the same verb, episcopeo. It's a verb that literally means visitation or God's sort of coming to them. And interestingly enough, we translate that in the translation I'm working for a little bit differently, but literally it should be God has visited God's people. God has come to God's people. So this divine visitation, this hospitality of God coming among us, this guest has come to us, uh, to, has come to the earth. And so that's the first scene we get, this, this incredible guest coming. And so we're sort of asked to, to think about this uh, this way. God is the guest. God is the guest who has come to the world. And then it sort of brings us to mind this question. How will this guest, this visitor be received? Because that's always the question when we talk about hospitality. How is the guest treated? And we, re- we remind ourselves of the whole story. And we remind ourselves, this is the intro, the very beginning scene. But we all know the story, that last scene, that crucifixion scene, the tree, the ancient symbol of death and destruction, that night that seemed to swallow up everything good. And so we have this sort of tension within us, this rising tension that we will read this rest of these stories with is apparently the guest is not treated so well, not so well at all. The guest is not received well. But this tension keeps us thinking through these stories. And so we move onward and there's no, I just picked a random three more stories for us. There, there could be many, many, many other stories we could choose. And this story comes in chapter seven And this is at Simon's house for dinner. Once again, this visitation, this hospitality theme. And I'll read this for you. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known what kind of woman it was who was touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Then they, when they could not pay... He canceled the debts to both of them. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. 
And so the whole scene that's set up here, the whole scene works on affection and love and forgiveness. But what we have here is, again, this question, how will the guest be received? And a woman with a bad reputation in the village kisses and weeps and bathes his feet around this table. But the Pharisee sticks his nose in the air and says, in essence, why would he let this woman touch him? Then there's Simon. Simon, he, he's sitting there taking all this in and sort of this bewilderment. How will this guest be received? A woman treats Jesus like royalty. A Pharisee treats him like trash, someone who's ignorant. And one of his closest friends treats him with this suspended skepticism. So we have all these mixed motives, all these different characters around this incredible table that Jesus, that, that Jesus is the guest at. Then we have chapter 19, a, a famous story, the meal with Zacchaeus. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of the one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And I have anyone I have defrauded anything, I will pay them back four times as much. Then Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to say what is lost. So how is this guest, the visitor received? The tax collector, the one who is in collaboration with Rome, the power players on the block, the one who has ripped off its own, his own neighborhood. This one not only is the one who receives the guest with radical humility, with confessing his wrongs. with And, and what I love about this story is they don't actually ever get to the table. He welcomes them long before he greets this stranger, Jesus, and invites him into his life to change his life before we even get to the table. And then at this point, we have the crowd, the doubters, the people who are saying, that guy, that guy gets to go to the table? No way. And the last scene I want to share with you comes in chapter 24. Now, we've had many other meal scenes that we could talk about, but this one comes at the very end. After Jesus was crucified, that very bitter moment in the life of the story. And the story goes like this. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. After talking with each other about all these things that had happened, while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answers him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all his people. And how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. 
Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day and since these things took place. Moreover, some of our women in the group have astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning and they did, they did not find his body. They came back to us and told us that indeed they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. And then he walks them through the prophets. And then he stayed with them. And when he was at the table in front of them, he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? How will the visitor, the guest be received? In this short story, he's actually called a stranger. For the longest period of time, they didn't recognize the guest who has come. And in this story, he's received with doubt, with frustration even, with cynicism by Cleopas and the other disciple, until, until he broke bread and shared the cup, and all of a sudden, their eyes were opened. All of a sudden, the tables were turned. And I find this theme in the Gospel of Luke utterly fascinating. Everything happens around a table. It's as if in the ancient world and in this moment, meals are where the magic are. The Gospel of Luke invites us to think about hospitality, about guests and visitors and cooking and entertaining and what it means to make the strangers feel at home. See, because meals are the place that break down the differences between people, the haves and the have-nots, the gossip and the rumors. Meals are the place where we confront our prejudice and learn to listen to the stories of others. Meals don't just strengthen our physical body. They cultivate compassion in us. The Gospel of Luke triggers our imaginations to think about guests and visitors and what it means for us to open our homes to others. But in the end, the question that we were asking, how will this guest be received, is turned on its head. Because it's as if the whole story works to this point to say that now this Jesus is offering the table to us. It's as if Jesus is saying, this is your chair. You are the ones that were in need of being welcomed and being taken in. The table has been turned. The offer has been made. And what I find fascinating is that the insider-outsider thing that happens in every story, every story, it's someone who's been socially marginalized, someone who's, who has been spit upon, who's been looked down upon, who sort of prejudices and stereotypes have sort of caught in the airwaves, have sort of worked underneath the surface of things. And that is so relevant in our world, isn't it? Because the world is always constructed by those who win and those who lose and those who tell the story. But there is an under, there is a subversive story being told in this gospel. The Christian faith is saying through these stories that God is the host who offers you a place at the table. God is the host who offer those who've been socially marginalized a place at the table. God is the one who looks into your eyes who passes you the bread and then hands you the cup. 
God is the one who shares a meal with you. And the question becomes for us, will you sit at this table? Will you sit at this table long enough to capture some of the heart of the host, the heart of a host for outsiders, the heart of a host for those who have not? Will you sit there long enough to ponder this great love and how this great love could transform the world we live in? This love that is always offering everything you search for, this love that gives you the healing and the purpose and the compassion that you need. God is the host who says, this is your chair. And I wrote the poem, This Is Your Chair, because I wanted to capture the spirit of early Christianity. I wanted to remind us of the original revolution, the radical message that everyone gets a seat at this table. This table is not about dogma, it's, but it's about heaven and earth becoming one as stories are shared and compassion embodied as the world is made new around the simple idea of a meal where you get to look into the eyes of another human being and realize depths and stories and things you have never seen before, where you get to share food and remind yourself of your commonality, of your solidarity with those who are human. The table is set. This is your chair. In this circle, a strange kinship of intersecting stories where human frailties and divine possibilities clash and kiss. Halo of wounds and wonders over a simple meal. To the outsiders, to those whose skin color has made their bodies targets of prejudice, to the gay and the straight, and those who don't know, to those who search for belonging, longing for purpose, trying on identities, Jews and Gentiles, Montagues and Capulets, Greasers and Socius, Slytherins and Gryffindors, to the Boo Radleys, we are all outsiders here. The table is set. This is your chair. To the addicts, pining for romance, grasping wealth, craving fame, scheming for power, that's never enough. We're all addicts here. To those who are afraid, whose legs are shaking, who run, who fight, who hide, whose guts are churning, we've all been scared here. To those who hunger and thirst for rest, to those who hunger and thirst for connection, to those who hunger and thirst, the table is set. This is your chair. Leave your medals at the door. Put the sword down. Take the armor off. Rest your elbows on the table and let your body sit deep and long. Feel free to laugh. Please share a joke if you have one. A circus of smiles keeps families healthy. Please don't hide yours. Laughter will be our medicine. May your prickly wounds soften as you learn the wounds of others. Dangerous proximity. May wonder fill this room. 
To the brokenhearted, feel free to sit in silence. Feel the swell of sorrow deep in your bones. Enter the pain push down. If you don't say a word, we'll understand. We'll hold this quiet space for you. To those who are grieving, feel free to cry here. We've all been tossed and turned. Take it slow and share. We all need to hear. You are not alone. There is hope in our commonality. The table is set. This is your chair. Where familiar strangers gather, where scars and heartaches, differences and distances, curious resemblances bind us together. To the stargazers, feel free to dream here. Sketch your ideas on the edges of napkins, on the margins of grocery lists. For those who have forgotten the expanding universe of possibilities, scribble and remember and make bold plans. Face your fears in the presence of these companions. To the scientists, the skeptics, the curious, feel free to doubt and search here. Sit in the darkness of the empty tomb because the one who hung on Calvary was familiar with God's absence too. Honest questions keep this table sturdy and doubts are only scary if we bury them. The table is set. This is your share. We value vulnerability. We are cultivating courage. We are learners in this gathering. Feel free to share your story. To those whose story is in progress, to those who have been denied a voice, feel free to believe here. Because the one who was asphyxiated now dances in neighborhoods, now breathes on those sleeping, now insists on enemies becoming friends. Feel free to dance at this party. Tap your feet at this sacred meal. May this bread and cup remind you of the man from Galilee. May this bread and cup inspire true care for human bodies. May this bread and cup help you embrace pain and beauty. The table is set. This is your chair. <laughs>